Well, hello, friends, and welcome to His Mighty Hand, the radio ministry and podcast ministry of the Highland Terrace Baptist Church, located in Greenville, Texas. Now, in these few moments we spend together each week, you'll hear great and stirring interviews and powerful messages from the Word of God. But the reason for it all is so you can be touched by... Welcome to the His Mighty Hand radio podcast and broadcast hosted by me, Pastor Chet Haney of the Highland Terrace Baptist Church in Greenville, Texas. I'm so glad to be with you here in the studio today. I'm all by myself today because I have some important updates that I'm going to share with you personally from the heart. And normally I would have a guest uh, to interview and uh, I thought about having someone uh, come in and conduct this interview, but I thought I would just uh, reach out to you, the listener, straight from the heart and uh, speak into your heart, uh, hopefully, prayerfully today. So grateful for your listenership, by the way. I know many of you listen to our podcast um, on the um, iTunes, and many of you listen to our radio broadcast and I'm so very, very thankful to have this opportunity to interact with you. And I want to tell you some uh, exciting things about the near future. Possibly, if the Lord opens this door, we are actually in touch with some new radio stations uh, in Dallas, in Omaha, in uh, Shreveport, and in Tucson, uh, in addition to some other places where we've been invited to um, take our ministry uh, to a new level and reach hopefully lots more people. So pray with us about that, and we'll keep you posted on the progress. We are actually working on our website, which can be sort of a capture page for our listeners to have a place to go to learn more and to learn about resources. Uh, we have some really exciting uh, things coming up. For instance, Tom Doyle and his wife, Joanne, are going to be joining us soon on our His Mighty Hand radio broadcast. He is a wonderful missionary to the Middle East, former pastor from Colorado who lives in the Frisco area now. And we've become friends, and I'm so honored to have Tom as a friend. His work in the Middle East is just riveting. It's fantastic. It's exciting. And uh, they have got some tremendous stories to tell, partly in um, in conjunction with a new book that they have released on the role of women in the underground church and how heroic um, women have become in the movement that's spreading throughout that part of the world as revival is just really catching fire. And they're going to come and tell us some incredible stories about that. We'll... Look forward to um, giving you more information about that. We have some other invitations out to other notable pastors who are also authors who are going to be coming. Oh, by the way, Roy Edgman, who with Henry Blackaby wrote the book, The Ways of God, which we're going to be teaching in our spring semester of Breathe Discipleship here at Highland Terrace. Roy's coming to join me in the studio here. He's actually a a dear friend as well, who for many years was in charge of discipleship at Lifeway. 
And now he has retired to the uh, Sulphur Springs area, and we've been in contact the last couple of days working out the details for a plan for Roy to come over and be a part of his mighty hand as well. And I can't wait to present to you um, words from his heart as he shares about this book that he wrote with Henry Blackaby, the great author of Experiencing God. I'm just so thankful to be here today. I don't know if you've noticed or not, but my voice sounds pretty good, and I'm feeling pretty good. After a time of real challenge in getting over the um, the COVID situation, I had no idea back in early November that I was about to wind up in the hospital. I went over to urgent care, actually. And had an excellent PA who sat me down, and I'd received a test for COVID, hadn't gotten the results yet. But she was just kind of checking me over, and she asked me if my kidneys were sore. And I thought, well, you know, not really. But she said, let me just um, check that. She sort of pressed in your back there where the kidneys are. And I, I confessed to her that it was a little sore. She said, get up. You're going to the ER right now. <laughs> I was like, What? And uh, so here I go to the ER, and come to find out, I was almost in a state of total hypoxia at that time and didn't even know it. Now, we study this in flight training. I have received my private pilot certificate in the last few years working on IFR very slowly, but hopefully, surely, one of these days I'm going to have my instrument rating. But uh, we learn about hypoxia and how dangerous it is because at certain altitudes, you can become almost euphoric right before you pass out, not even knowing that your body's not getting enough oxygen. That's similar to the state that I was in. I did not feel short of breath. I felt a little bit of uh, sickness and a little nausea and just felt yucky, to tell you the truth. But I uh, didn't really think I had COVID at all, and they got me in the ER and they said, there's no way we're going to discharge you with your oxygen level, um, your saturation oxygen level at this rate. Uh, I was basically in the low 80s, dipping down into the 70s, which is not good. And so I was admitted to the hospital. Surprisingly, what was really a surprise was that a month later, uh, I was still there getting ready to discharge when I first went in the hospital, it was, okay, Mr. Haney, you've got COVID. Okay, Mr. Haney, you've got ground glass opacity in your lungs, which basically means your x-ray looks like a shattered windshield, uh, very um, familiar to COVID people. Uh, you know what that's about because that's a common um, presentation in uh, COVID cases. Okay, Mr. Haney, now you've got pneumonia. Okay, Mr. Haney, uh, you know, each day I was getting something, just one on top of the other. Now you've got, um, you know, acute respiratory failure. That'll get your attention. You know, I'll tell you, if you get where you can't breathe, just take it from me. You're in bad shape. <laughs> well, next thing they said, Mr. Haney, uh, you have got uh, thrombocytopenia. I, I had never even heard of that. Uh, my daughters are just going nuts. They're getting people to pray all over the country. And uh, I'm actually texting my wife my fidelity passcode and giving her this instruction. I said, now, honey, if you'll just keep what we have until about 2030, I think you'll be set up. Don't sell before then, and you'll be set up for the rest of your life. You can do whatever you want to. And she responds back to me, why are you telling me this? Well, I'll tell you the reason why. is because I thought I might kick the bucket 
honestly. It was really something. They just kept piling on all this information. And honestly, I never did really feel that bad. But uh, they're telling you that you're bad, even though you're not feeling that bad. I was trying so hard to stay out of ICU, and one lady told me who was a wonderful nurse in her professional opinion that I should not go on a ventilator, whatever uh, happens. Well, the next thing you know, they're transferring me to ICU. First day in ICU, they said, uh, yes, we're going to put you on a ventilator. And I said, no, let's don't do that. <laughs> and it's not like I knew better than they did, but I uh, really did not want to go on that ventilator. So... Fortunately, we were able to kind of have a talk about it, and I wound up uh, using the BPAP and the high-flow cannula, which is basically a ventilator without intubation. And uh, for about uh, 11 or 12 days in ICU, that machine, which is a ventilator, um, you know, using the, the, the cannula and the, uh, the BPAP was doing 100% of my breathing for me. And, uh, man, it was really something. About the third day uh, of that, Dr. Bockley, who, by the way, was a wonderful part of a wonderful team of healthcare heroes that took care of me so well. They, they literally kept me alive over there in um, Hunt Regional Hospital. I'm so grateful for them. Every time I drive by, my heart just leaps with gratitude for what those people did while I was there. He said, Mr. Haney, uh, we can't tell you you're getting better, but I can tell you this, you have stopped getting worse. Well, I want to tell you that was a great day. I was so thankful, and then they turned physical therapy loose on me, and uh, with the help of the respiratory aids and the nurses and physical therapy, I went on a regimen of five workouts a day, each workout uh, having 12 or 13 different exercises. Uh, later, we began to top them off with some bonus stuff I was doing, like walking and jogging in place. And uh, I noticed that uh, I had a little group of nurses who were gathering at the window to watch my oxygen while I was doing this stuff because they were just amazed. I felt so sorry for the staff there, overworked. They were overtaxed. They were burned out. And uh, honestly, the funeral home was up there hauling people out uh, every day or two or three. And it was hard to watch. Hit me so hard. People that I heard about who were uh, having a rough time, I didn't even know their names, didn't know who they were. I just knew they were in the room next door. And if I heard one of them didn't make it, it just uh, tore me to pieces. And I can uh, only imagine what the staff you know, was dealing with up there. But by and by, after about a week or so of those five-day, five-time-a-day routine exercises, sometimes I wouldn't get finished till 1130 at night trying to get it all in, um, I started noticing that my O2 numbers were climbing and getting a lot better. It took a little while, but once they started to climb, they really haven't quit. And uh, last night was my first time to preach without an oxygen tank, and I finished with a 94 sat level. I I keep my little um, pulse oximeter around my neck all the time just so I can watch and see how I'm doing. I'm just so grateful. By the way, I carried the the tank with me to the pulpit for uh, about three and a half weeks, and one astute observer of my preaching said that carrying that oxygen tank around, because I can't stand still, I walk around from side to side, 
carry that tank around with me. They said it looked like I was vacuuming the stage while I was preaching. And so because of this last Sunday, which was my last Sunday morning in the pulpit with my oxygen tank, we actually had some sound effects. So when I pushed it around, they played a sound effect like a vacuum cleaner. It looked very convincing, like I was doing some spring cleaning while I was preaching. I think our people were really appreciative of that, especially the uh, custodial staff. And uh, I just want you to know, uh, some of you who are listening today are some of you who are praying for me, and I just want to thank you for every prayer. I tell you what, it really came home to um, a little too close to home last Wednesday night. I'm speaking to you now on a Thursday. Um, a week ago from last night, I got word that uh, at 5.30 that evening, my dear friend, Pastor Jimmy Pritchard of the First Baptist Church of Forney, who I've known for many, many years, um, has been a good friend for many years, passed away from COVID pneumonia. I want to tell you, you hear a report like that, and you remember the scripture that says one will be taken and another left, and you look at that and you try to comprehend it, and you can't. Uh, the ways of God and our times in His hands are a mystery. And every day is a precious gift from God. I would encourage everybody listening to pray for the First Baptist Church of Forney. And when we come back, I'm going to, uh, in the next session, uh, share with you some important things that I've learned through this experience. His Mighty Hand Radio Broadcast Podcast. I'm Pastor Chet Haney. And now with today's message, here's Pastor Chet. The word company is actually from the Latin, come panis. And panis is the word we get for bread. In fact, you've probably heard the Spanish word pan, P-A-N, which means bread. And so the company that you keep is literally the person that you share bread with. And I want to talk today about the bread of heaven. Did you know that in Kansas, they make enough bread just in that one state, uh, or I should say they cut enough wheat in that one state to make 360 billion loaves of bread in a typical year if they have a good crop. That's enough for every person on earth to have five or six loaves of bread just from the state of Kansas. Isn't that amazing? And one of those big combine machines can cut in 10 seconds enough wheat to make 70 loaves of bread. That's just staggering, isn't it, to think about. Well, this morning, I want to visit with you about bread, about the bread of heaven, And we're going to look at a beautiful picture of bread that was nothing short of a miracle of God. Let me tell you something about a miracle. When you see a miracle of God happen, it ought to remind you of this. There is nothing too difficult for God. He can do anything. He can even make bread from heaven to look like frost on the ground in the morning. We're going to see that in our passage today. Isn't that a beautiful thought? That the manna God sent from heaven, it looked like, it appeared like frost on the ground. 
Now open your Bible to Exodus 17, and I'm going to share with you uh, some thoughts about bread, some facts about bread. I also want to share with you some applications that we can make thinking about bread to our responsibilities as believers. The, uh, the surprising facts that you've already heard about bread kind of go along with the surprising realities spiritually that we're going to learn about bread, specifically the bread of heaven this morning. First of all, did you know this? The bread of heaven, which we call manna, was actually created in a culture of complaint. This is what the context of the situation of manna was created in the complaining of God's people. Now, complaining about food might be excusable, forgivable if you're really hungry. <laughs> What's for supper? I'm hungry. You've heard that before if you, uh, you know, work in the kitchen at your house. And you can almost understand why somebody whose stomach was growling might complain about their hunger. But Israel's complaining was much more serious. They were never intended to be in the wilderness for 40 years, which, by the way, is how long the manna lasted. 40 years. That's a long time. But the complaining began before this. And never was it really more serious than at Kadesh Barnea when Moses sent out from the company of Israel, a committee. Some spies went into the land, the land that was flowing with milk and honey, the land that was uh, promised to Israel by God. And when the committee came back with its report, there were two men, Joshua and Caleb, who were excited about the land. They said, it's just everything that you thought and more. Look at these grapes we brought. Look at these pomegranates. You're not going to believe it. It's beautiful. It's fertile. And we can easily take it because God will help us. Let's go. Well, they were overruled by the majority of the committee, which was 10 people who offered not faith and vision, but rather complaint. They said, uh, there's giants in that land, and uh, it's too dangerous. We can't go. They complained against Moses. They complained against Aaron. And they caused the heart of the whole nation to tremble in fear instead of having faith in God. So complaining, I'm just trying to say, is, is serious business. It's not always just something we do when we're hungry for supper and when we want to know what time dinner will be served. There are more serious complaints, and complaining can really affect your faith in God, your trust in God, and really it makes a statement about how you feel about God. Now, 
I want you to notice verse 2. As the Israelites traveled to the wilderness of sin between Elam and Sinai, verse 2 says this, Then the whole congregation of the children of Israel complained against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the children of Israel said to them, Oh, that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt. When we sat by the pots of meat and when we ate bread to the full, for you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. The people were hungry and they complained against Moses and Aaron. Now, in verse 4, God announces a blessing that will also be a test. I was just talking with Warren how often when God blesses us, there's a test that goes along with the blessing to see how we're going to handle the blessing, to see if we're going to be grateful for it, to see if we're going to have a a proper spiritual attitude toward God. When he does bless us, there's a test in the blessing. Notice what God says in verse 4. The Lord spoke to Moses, and this is what he said. Behold, I will rain bread from heaven. Well, you talk about company. They're about to be with a lot of bread now. There's going to be bread from heaven raining because of a miracle of God. And the people shall go out and gather a certain quota every day that I may test them whether or not they will walk in my law or not. So there you see it. A blessing, which is also a test. And it shall be on the sixth day that they shall prepare what they bring in. It shall be twice as much as they gather daily. Now look what Moses said about their complaint in verse 6. Moses and Aaron said to all the children of Israel, At evening you shall know that the Lord has brought you out of the land of Egypt. And I love this phrase in verse 7. And in the morning, he never mentions the bread. He doesn't say, now y'all get ready in the morning, you're going to see bread all over the land. That's not what he says, is it? What does he say? Look at verse 7. He says, in the morning, you shall see what, church? The glory of the Lord. That's what Moses said you're going to see. You're going to see the glory of the Lord. Forget about the bread for a moment. You're going to know that God led you out of Egypt. And you're going to know that God is with you. And you're going to know there's nothing impossible, nothing too difficult for God. You're going to see the glory of the Lord in the morning. And um, he goes on to say, God hears your complaints against the Lord, but what are we that you complain against us? Now, this is kind of interesting to me. Here's what Moses said. I don't know why you're talking to me. You don't have problems with me. You got problems with God. Why are you complaining to me? God's the one who brought you out of Egypt. God is the one who's taking you through the wilderness. God is the one who's in charge of this. If you've got something to say, you might as well just take it to the Lord. I had a conversation kind of like this with some of my buddies in Denison one time. 
I used to sit at Rotary. I was president of Rotary. I don't know how they taught me into that. And we had a big uh, golf tournament called the Reba Classic out at Texoma. It was a big fundraiser for the Reba Ranch House and the Reba Rehab Center. And uh, sure enough, I was asked to be on this uh, team of four with the bank. And uh, we got out there that Monday morning. It was Memorial Day. And it was time for the Reba Golf Classic. And guess what? There was rain clouds. It was stormy looking. You know, big dark clouds were coming up and gathering. Looked like the bottom was about to fall out. And some of the guys were saying, where's Chet? Why don't you do something? You know? And I said, guys, you don't have a problem with me. You got a problem with God. I'm not in management. I'm in sales. That's what I told them. And they thought that was kind of funny. But you know, it's really true, isn't it? Our complaining says more about how we feel about God than it does about how we feel about our spouse or our boss or our leaders politically, our finances. Listen, when we complain, it is a form of worship or the lack thereof. We're worshiping the wrong thing when we complain. Moses said, look, in the morning, you're going to see the glory of the Lord. And it's an amazing thing when a Christian can, uh, I, I love what Warren said a moment ago, happiness doesn't come from what's happening. Happiness is a function of our trust and our belief in God. Never did we see this more um, poignantly than at the cross of our Lord Jesus. And the Bible says, despite all of the suffering that he went through, he did not complain. I want to just throw a couple of verses on the screen for you this morning, starting with Isaiah 53, 5. Notice this familiar passage where the Bible says he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. Jesus, through no fault of his own, was suffering the pain of the scourge and the desolation of the cross. And the Bible says the chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes, we are healed. Now, what a deal for us and what a deal for Jesus. He got our sin and we got his salvation. Now, look at verse 6, same chapter. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And what did God do? He laid upon him the iniquity of us all. Jesus bore our sin upon his shoulders on the cross. And look at verse 7. He was oppressed and he was afflicted. Yet, what does the Bible say, church? He never complained. He never you know, spoke back 
to those who were speaking to him so uh, viciously. He's brought as a lamb to the slaughter as a sheep before her shearers is dumb, so he opened not his mouth. I'm going to tell you two things about complaining. First of all, the opposite. The antidote and the opposite for complaining is a skill, a learned skill called contentment. And the one who learns to be content is the one who learns not to complain. Now listen, contentment, as I said, number two, is a skill that we have to learn. We have to practice it. It doesn't come naturally, not always. Sometimes we have to work at it. In fact, sometimes it's the most difficult thing. Paul said he had to learn it. Look at verse 11 of Philippians chapter 4. I'll just throw it up on the screen for you here. Verse 11 says, Not that I was ever in need, for I have what? Learned. I have learned how to be content with whatever I have. I'm going to show you one of the most famous verses from Paul, Philippians 4.13, in a moment which is, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Thanks for listening today to His Mighty Hand, the radio ministry of the Highland Terrace Baptist Church located on Joe Ramsey Boulevard, right here in Greenville, Texas. Join us each week at this time as we celebrate His work in our lives through 